Welcome to the Trailbreaker Podcast. I'm Aaron Feinberg. In this podcast, I explore what it takes to be a trailbreaker. Through intimate conversations with people carving new paths across the landscape of business, art, and sport, we dig in on how to excel across seemingly disparate endeavors. What drives people who manage to succeed multidimensionally? Is it how they think? Is it meticulous planning and follow-through? Or is it some measure of delusional optimism? My guest today is Dr. Diana Partovi, a clinical neuropsychologist, founder of California Neuropsychology Services, and an assistant clinical professor at UC Berkeley. We talked about her work as a neuropsychologist, the way she takes those skills to develop trainings for companies, and a fantastic program supporting neurodiversity at work that we're partnering on. Good afternoon, Diana, and thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk about the work that you do as a neuropsychologist, the way in which you're bringing some of that work into the corporate world in terms of supporting folks uh, in the overall umbrella of neurodiversity, and then also uh, getting to share a little bit about this fun project you and I are working on. But why don't we start off first with sharing a little bit about how a neuropsychologist differs from a psychologist, like psychiatrist, et cetera. So maybe some broad strokes. So anybody who doesn't know what a neuropsych does, will have a little more of an idea. Yeah. So a neuropsychologist is somebody who is trained as a clinical psychologist. And then in addition to that, we really focus on the brain. So we work with people who might be having difficulties or differences in learning, memory, attention, that kind of thing. Fantastic. And you're working in the corporate world now, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but give us a fast pass on some of the places in which you've worked prior. Yeah. So most of my clinical training was actually done um, in the VA system. So for over 10 years, I've been working with our military veterans, many of whom have had um, traumatic brain injuries during their time in theater or, um, or maybe having uh, difficulties as they're getting older with memory, attention, those kinds of things. So I do a lot of assessment with them. And then on the back end, I also do a lot of um, work in helping them improve quality of life by using things like compensatory strategies, things like calendars, alerts, reminders, things like that. Great. And, and compensatory strategy is obviously something I'm familiar with from my former life as a school psychologist. Yeah. But for, for those who've never heard that term, what is that? What does it mean? Yeah. So often when somebody's having a, a change in their brain or were born with, with something that made it difficult, for example, to pay attention, we, ne- we may not be able to really change the brain per se or not in enough of a way to, to help improve quality of life. So if somebody is forgetting things like to take their medication, a compensatory strategy would be maybe to set an alert or reminder on their phone. It might be something like getting a pill dispenser that you know has an alarm. So it's these little things that, that you can do to kind of make sure that you still get your needs met and that your quality of life is um, as, as optimized as possible. So in essence, something you can do to compensate for the way in which your brain or your behavior doesn't work as well as you'd like it to? Right, where you're maybe not getting your needs met, not doing the things that are important to you, we develop strategies to help you with that. 
Thank you so much. And then I know you've also done some teaching and you do workshops and training. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm an assistant clinical professor at UC Berkeley. I teach their graduate psychology students on adult assessment, and I love that work. Um, and then I'm also currently a workshop presenter for Lyra Health, and they do a lot of fantastic work with corporations. Um, they're a mental health benefit for corporations. So uh, I'll do presentations for them on kind of work stress, how to manage uh, things like returning to the workplace during the pandemic those kinds of things. Great. And, and when you're doing assessment or supporting folks from this neuropsych perspective, tell us a little bit about the types of struggles, right? Either it could be issues with attention or emotional uh, regulation, et cetera, but give us a, a little more detail on, on what kind of things you support folks with. Yeah, so I see, I would say that probably the two um, most common referrals I get are for people that are having trouble with um, attention, concentration, and kind of what we call executive functioning. So things like planning, organization, multitasking, that kind of thing. So those are people who may have something like attention deficit disorder, or they actually could have things like post-traumatic stress disorder, or other things that can get in the way of their attention. So for those individuals, I'll usually do a really thorough assessment, understand where their strengths are, because most of the time, almost always, these people have some really incredible strengths. So we'll use those strengths to kind of help them utilize the compensatory strategies. Um, I also do an autism assessment. So individuals who maybe have always felt like their brain was just a little bit different, their experience of the world was a little bit different, but maybe they never got diagnosed. They may be having trouble at work, which is kind of why I'm doing these neurodiversity trainings that I know we're going to get to. Um, so it might be an assessment to help them understand about more about their symptoms or their traits actually is probably a better way to put it. Um, and then also just to, to emphasize again what their strengths are um, and, and to look at how we can improve quality of life if that's their goal. So a lot of times it's, it's what they want to work on is really what we work on. Yeah, the, the work that, that I, I used to do with the kids in, in the high school setting in terms of uh, folks on the uh, autism spectrum uh, and the social skills training and the teaching of the compensatory strategies and the leveraging of skills and also the, the education for the rest of the folks around them was so rewarding because, you know, the, the way in which we all can function even better and better better is is so supported by when we use strategies to build us up versus spending a lot of time labeling diagnosing or focusing on what where the quote unquote problem is that is so true and in fact you know when i work with autistic individuals and particularly in companies um, it is not about teaching them to be different it is about teaching the world that the way these individuals are is exactly the right way for them to be. And that if they're having difficulty at work or with relationships, it's not about having them change. It's about having other people understand that people perceive the world differently, they behave differently, um, and, and to really make space for each individual to be successful, not to change them, not to pathologize it. Absolutely. And so, how did this transition from, you know, working as a clinical practitioner into the corporate world start to take form? 
Yeah. So kind of two different things. One is that as I was working with um, clients of mine at the VA, I did start to notice this theme of a lot of my clients who maybe had ADHD or were autistic were really struggling at work. You know, companies have lots and lots, as you know very well, of processes, right? From getting into an interview to being interviewed to um, onboarding to being promoted. These are all processes that are often developed by what I call neurotypical people. So kind of the, the more common way that people's brains are, are organized. Um, so they were uh, expressing to me these, you know, difficulties in navigating those systems and I could see from assessing them that they had so much to offer these companies and that often their, their um, skills were being overlooked. So that was kind of one of the things that pointed me in this direction. I also have an incredibly narrow, distinct family um, and per lots of personal experience, even myself um, experiencing the world in a very different way than most people. And um, maybe just to clarify, when I'm talking about neurodistinct, often the people that fall under that umbrella are people who are autistic, have attention deficit disorder, things like dyslexia, which is difficulty reading or with speech sounds, dyspraxia, motor movements, um, difficulty with that. And almost any person can find an environment where they can actually really be successful, even if their brain is wired differently. Um, and I started recognizing that people just don't know that in the corporate world. They just don't have that information. They're not doing it to be mean or on purpose. They just don't know. And, and I would say, Amen for for the work that you're up to and the work we're going to be working together on. And and I have often found the same in in school systems. And yeah. uh, you know the the educating of the adults around the children was so much of where my time and energy was spent. And it and it's funny because the students were really my uh, my focus or should have been my clients. But so much around you around them was really where the the work had to happen. So educating and and normalizing and keeping folks from pathologizing and mm. and also then really spotlighting what's possible, what's actually happening, and then what the folks around them could do or learn or try to really elicit those same things out of the folks uh, um, that that some of us were actually seeing that they were capable of. Exactly. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, and especially I see this in the work environment, when people are perceiving things in a different way, learning in a different way, thinking about things in a different way, it actually often causes conflict. Um, and it causes conflict because maybe people attribute that to a personality trait, like, oh, he's just being, you know, this way, or he's not paying attention, or he doesn't care, or, or whatever it is. But but really helping people understand perspective taking, develop empathy, it's kind of the same things that you're talking about. That really tends to reduce conflict and it helps with kind of team cohesion or even in personal relationships, it can help a lot too. Yeah, the easiest thing to do is to, is to quickly and inaccurately label the problem as being something from within one person. And yeah. it is, it's inappropriate, it is, almost always wrong and it's the quick and dirty lazy way versus the work that you do in assessing folks and in and in investigating things from all the different angles and i think you get a much better outcome when you do it that way yeah i agree because i really do think most people are coming to work or coming into relationships 
doing their best and wanting to make it work. And when people label those behaviors, like you said, as sort of intentional or coming from, you know, a, a negative place, um, that's often, like you said, it's inaccurate and it's just really often not very helpful. No, and it, and it misses, as you said, it misses the true ideology to what, to what's really going on. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's understandable because most of us aren't taught about right. what's really going on, even in our own brains, much less someone who shows up in, in some uh, degree different than, than the neurotypical, right. Or the thing that we see all the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I think it's, it's great. And so you know, when you are starting to to work with companies and um, and individuals at, at work, what what are the ways in which you're doing? Is it through workshops? Is it through coaching? Is it through assessment uh, uh, or, or all of those things? Yeah, it is kind of all of the above. So often what I'll do when a company brings me on is I'll start depending on the team or the situation with a little bit of a needs assessment. So I'm really interested in understanding what is the company view on neurodiversity? Have they ever even heard of it? You know, I like to kind of explain it like, just like everybody has a, a unique fingerprint, everybody's brain is very unique. There's wide variability in how our brains can function. Um, and are you creating an environment where people belong or feel like they belong? Are you creating an environment that's inclusive? Do you know how you would talk to somebody who has a different learning style than you do? Do you know what your learning style is? Does your team know what your learning style is? Um, and if somebody has a different learning style, do you know what accommodations might be available to them or what you can do to really um, improve their success? So I'll usually kind of start with a needs assessment. And then I have multiple modules that I can train on. And this is really for the larger team usually. So neurodiversity 101, what is it? What does it look like? Guess what? It's already on your team. Um, why is neurodiversity important? It's important because we want people who come to a team who think about things from different perspectives. That makes your product better. It makes your product more accessible to a wider demographic. Um, it really helps with belonging and inclusion. It helps people feel like they can be themselves. So I'll roll out trainings like that. I'll talk about those systems, how they might be set up to keep neurodistinct individuals out of the company or keep them, you know, again, not intentionally or keep them from being promoted. And then certainly doing some coaching for individuals that may have some, you know, difficulties at work that they just need some success enablers maybe to help them with. Um, or even coaching for managers to understand how to manage a team that may be different than them, may think differently, process information, or learn differently. It's so great. Uh, and, you know, for, for those who aren't uh, privy to some of our previous conversations, it, it's such a gift to watch what you have done with, with this program. And, and, you know, this is a passion project of mine. And when I jumped from, from school psychology into executive coaching and leadership training years ago, I, I really did see, wow, there's all these students, all these high school kids year after year that are doing so well, but they have these areas of challenge or the, or the environments around them are not supporting them in the way they could. And they're going off into the world of work. And I wonder what's happening. And I thought, gosh, there might be a need to, to support them and the companies. And that was one of the impetuses for me jumping ship. And then years later, 
you know, we, we get connected through a uh, great man, Lachlan uh, Fletcher from who I knew from Stripe and then Lever. And he thankfully connected us. And I had been working on some of these same concepts and modules and, and to get connected with you and, and finally have a, a partner in which I thought, okay, th- we've got a complimentary set of skills and we can, she understands uh, really what I'm trying to get off get out into the world, but even with a depth beyond what I have. And it's been fun to really pinball ideas back and forth and, and really start to push this forward. And I really am thankful that you fell into my life because that project that I had created years ago, I just sort of left on the shelf until you popped into my life. And, and now it feels like it's, it's running and uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, I I still remember that um, day that I met you in the coffee shop and just, I'm sure because my voice gets really loud when I get excited about things, you were probably like, okay, okay, I hear you. But, um, but it was just so nice to talk to another person who, who, you know, like you that has the knowledge that has the background. Um, because those high school students that you saw, what I see on the back end when they become adults and they come into the workplace is a lot of pain. I see a lot of people who have been kind of masking and just sort of trying to pretend to be like neurotypical individuals or conversely hiding sort of the traits that make them who they are. And um, this often leads to depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, and people come into the workplace like hoping they don't get found out or having a lot of that kind of imposter syndrome pain and, and, you know, my goal is always, and and has always been like, how can I reduce suffering? How can I, um, highlight what, what individuals really do have to, to offer? Because I really think that that is just, it's just, it's been a passion of mine for a long time. And I've seen it impact people. I really love and care about, um, when, when they're misunderstood or looked over or, um, their skills are not, are not noticed. 100%. And, and when I made the jump into doing a lot of coaching, I was seeing the same things that I was seeing in the school-based counseling work, but now in these coaching sessions. And while I wasn't doing counseling or psychology um, with folks, you know, some of these same issues around attention, around self-monitoring, executive functioning, uh, the way in which they were processing information, the the difficulty uh, managing the day and, and realizing, wow, okay, we're making good progress here in our, in our coaching, but that there's a bigger systematic thing that's at play. And, and I think that, you know, finally having companies decide, okay, we can put our people through these kind of trainings uh, is so great because that's, that's really where the the tide shifts and the impact can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's such a good point too, Aaron, because I think so often there's this push to make people who think differently think more like neurotypical individuals. And that is not the way to go. You know, uh, somebody who has a novel way of looking at a problem is gonna come up with a novel solution and they shouldn't have to try to fit into any particular mold because the skill set they're bringing is so much better, you know, perhaps than what the other team members have to offer. So, and we really do have expectations about what leaders look like, how they sound, how they communicate. You have to have good communication skills, right? Well, communication can happen in many different ways. It can be spoken communication. It can be written communication. It can be showing somebody. It can be idea generation. And yet we still expect that people are going to stand up in a conference room and be able to speak 
in a certain way, that's how people should be. And that's just really not actually true for a lot of people. And it's not where you get your best work from people. Completely. And, and so when, you know, you touched a little bit on, on helping the broader population understand what's really going on and educating them at kind of shifting the mindset about who should be changing uh, or how they should be changing. Um, you know, um, the, the series of different modules and things like that. So when, when a company engages with you, are they working with you to work with the managers? Are they working with you to work with the individuals? Is it everybody, um, uh, that, that gets to be a part of these workshops? Yeah, it really depends on the company and their needs. So certainly I am working with a lot of managers because they are really the ones who um, need to recognize when somebody has a different learning style or, or has some um, some needs, support needs that will really help them be successful. Uh, but I, I really try to reach as broad an audience as possible because those employees that are kind of frontline employees that are, you know, uh, maybe even new in the company, we want them to understand. Sometimes they are, are actually neurodistinct and don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. So I want to normalize that people do have different learning styles. They do have different challenges and skills. Um, and so hopefully, and I, the responsibility should not fall on the employee themselves, um, but hopefully give them some you know, ways to empower themselves, to advocate, to ask for things they need, to actually really think about what, what would be helpful for me because sometimes they don't know. And to be able to start those conversations, what I hear from a lot of neuro neurodistinct individuals is that those conversations are very difficult to start right now. Um, they're embarrassing to you know bring to a supervisor and say, look, I'm really having trouble with attention concentration. And then if a supervisor is like, well, I don't think anything's wrong with you or, you know, or I, I, I don't believe you, which does happen sometimes, then that person just retreats even further into themselves. So I want to show them how to have the conversations, give them ideas about what accommodations could be available, but then also really working with managers who mostly want to understand and help um, to give them some really concrete tools on what that looks like. Fantastic. And do you also work with folks in learning and development or human resources as well? Yeah, mostly it's usually learning and development that reach out to me. Um, they're usually the ones that bring me on board. I always try to partner with the HR uh, people because I just want to make sure that I know what the company's policies are. So I'm not, you know, telling any fibs or anything like that. And, and HR is often really the best um, partner because they know what their policies and procedures are. They're often also saying, oh, yeah, you know, I've heard of different kinds of things, but I've not heard of diversity, neurodiversity before. Um, what is that? Tell me more. So, yeah, I, I really am, am generally it's rolling out as a training or people will bring me on board to work individually um, with either leaders or um, in some cases with um, individual contributors as well. Great. And and it was my experience years ago, you know, that once explaining what this really meant and what, who it could help and how it could help everyone thought, yes, yes, let's do this. And then through a number of uh, reasons, whether it was just not the right time or I didn't put enough push on it, um, it just didn't seem to, to go anywhere. And it's interesting now, um, you know, where I guess I'd be curious to know 
as you've jumped into this space, it seems like it's been moving pretty fast for you. Uh, you know, I know you're working with a couple of really major companies that we all know and love. And um, in terms of sort of the any barriers to entry or or people's uh, unwillingness to to go there, are you, are you finding that it's rolling downhill pretty smoothly? Yeah, I think there's been just a phenomenal push for education in this area. So um, it, my, my biggest kind of obstacle is just people don't know what neurodiversity is. So it's kind of explaining that they do know what it is. They just don't know the word for it. But there are some really incredible people doing work in this area. Um, Jim Hogan at Google um, is doing some incredible work um, for inclusivity and neurodiversity. Diane Delaney uh, at IBM, both of them have been incredibly generous um, with their time and talking with me. Uh, so a lot of the big companies are, and, and I'm not working with either of them in any official capacity, they've actually been mentors for me, um, but a lot of companies are recognizing this really impacts recruitment, it impacts retention, it in, impacts those kind of corporate social responsibility measures that companies are really aware of. Um, you know, are you doing the right thing? Is this ethical? Are you, you know, contributing to the betterment of the world in a way? So it's really getting a lot of traction, which has been a pleasant surprise for me. Because I know even when you and I met two years ago, I think there was not nearly as much awareness um, as, there, as there is today. Well, it's... Uh... It's about time. It's about yeah, time. Definitely. And in terms of um, in terms of how folks find you and connect with you, what's the? It, it, obviously, they can get you on LinkedIn, and we'll publish your your contact information. But do you have a website um, or a business name for these programs? Yeah, I do. I have. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, certainly happy to connect with people there. Um, my company website is Cal for California, C-A-L neuropsych. And I know you'll publish that. Um, or you can Google California neuropsychology services. Um, I am actually available for these neurodiversity trainings worldwide. Um, if people are coming to me for assessment or um, testing or anything like that, those, those are only um, folks in California that I can see just because that's where I'm licensed as a, as a neuropsychologist. Great. And um, if anybody wanted to get some information about these programs, like, um, you know, whether they're one pagers or, or whether there's stuff on the website or quick materials to sort of help them understand, you know, kind of more deeply the scope, um, is there other things that you can send out or better just to reach out and, and jump on a call with you? Well, there is some information on the website. So when you get to my website, right kind of up front and center is a, a button you can click on that says employer trainings, and it'll give you some information there. There's also a contact me page where people can shoot me an email, and I'm always happy to either set up a call or send additional information. Every company I work with is really different. It's going to depend on their needs. So I really try to customize the training. So it's going to end up usually being some kind of at least a brief conversation just to, to find out what the person is looking for and what would be most helpful. Fantastic. Well, Diana, I am so glad that you joined me on the show today. I think the work that you are doing is amazing. I'm excited to, to help you along with it and all the best in the start of this year. Thank you so much, Aaron. And thank you for being such an amazing mentor during this whole entire process. You've just been amazing. So thank you so much. All right. Have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye. The Trailbreaker Podcast is created by Aaron Feinberg with production support provided by Michael Mori. 
More interviews and videos can be found at AaronFeinberg.com.